Welcome to SCN2A Insights, bringing you the latest research and clinical updates on SCN2A and genetic epilepsy from around the world. So welcome to this bonus episode of SCN2A Insights, which we're doing as part of our role of Genetic Epilepsy Team Australia to try and provide information for families of what to do with the current COVID-19 pandemic that we're all facing. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Yes, it's a concern for a lot of our families and a whole range of reasons what to do if you get it, where to go, what supports. So it's really important for us to get Ingrid in and have a chat about it and some, get some advice directly from the medical team about what our family should be doing. So to better understand what we should do around COVID-19 for our children and families, uh, Ingrid Jeffer was kind enough to talk to us and many of you may know or have heard of Ingrid and her research. She's a professor at the University of Melbourne, a paediatric neurologist with a particular interest in epilepsy and really seen as a world expert and leader in this field. Thanks, Ingrid, for joining us tonight and helping our community to understand what COVID-19 is and the impacts it might have. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's quite a frightening time for the whole community, I think, with the uh, pandemic that we're facing. Yes, and and there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think this podcast will, will be great for families just to have a better insight into what they should be doing and focusing on. So what are the things families and children can do to reduce the risk of catching COVID-19? Public messaging about this has been pretty clear. We need to be very careful about washing our hands, washing them often and washing them well. When we touch other people, when we touch surfaces after we eat and drink. So a lot more hand washing, I think, than we usually do. It's good if we can try and keep our hands away from our mouths. That's not always possible, and some of our children are more prone to doing that. The other major message, I think, is social distancing, so not going to attend meetings with large groups of people. When you are in the room with other people, trying to keep a one-and-a-half-metre space between you and other people. I mean, we have to have contact with others. That's what daily life is about, but trying to be very sensible about that and not going to maybe shopping centres or other places where you might be around a lot of people and in much closer contact. So do you think children with developmental and epileptic encephalopathies are more likely to catch COVID-19 compared to the general population? No, I don't think children or adults with developmental and epileptic encephalopathies are more likely to catch COVID-19 compared to the rest of us. However, I think that we're all at high risk of catching it eventually because it uh, seems to be very infectious. So what about if a child with a developmental or epileptic encephalopathy has COVID-19? Are they less able to cope with the illness compared to other children? Well, I was actually quite worried about this group of children because some of them tend to have seizures with fever and COVID-19 is often associated with a fever. But I heard very recently some good news about this from other centres such as Italy and New York where they've had quite a lot of patients already and they do not see any exacerbation, any worsening of seizures in this group. Often this lung disease is treated with steroids and they may actually be protective for the epilepsy. I don't think we really know why, but so far epilepsy doesn't seem to be being made worse. On the other hand, though, there are patients with underlying lung disease. It may be because they're not very mobile. It may be because they have a scoliosis or a bend in their spine. And those patients with underlying lung disease, I would still be concerned about that they would be at increased risk of chest infections. And are there ways to help children or adults cope better with a fever or a febrile illness? 
The strategies that parents have to use here are just the normal ones for fever. So that is giving paracetamol regularly, uh, measuring fever, and of course, adequate hydration and keeping them close by so you're watching your child very carefully in case seizures do happen. In the pandemic, unfortunately, that we're facing, it's likely that healthcare resources are going to be quite stretched. What should families do if their children do become unwell? Families are the experts on their own children, so they know when to worry. And if you, uh, as a mother, father or a carer, know your child really well, then you know if things aren't right. And if you're worried, then you should be taking them to the emergency department. Don't worry if they're crowded. If you're worried, you're probably quite right to be concerned and you need to seek medical advice. And an emergency department is equipped to handle a major problem should your child have a prolonged seizure. Families at risk can go to the emergency department and if they're worried that's probably the best option. Of course they're going to be worried about the system being so overwhelmed. Are there other options for families if they can't get into hospital or they feel that that's not the best place for them to go? Well I think there are certainly other other options. The first thing to say is that in the case of a patient with a developmental and epileptic encephalopathy Remember, your, one of your key health professions, professionals will be a neurologist and they will not be at the front line in the emergency department in general. That will be the emergency physicians and infectious diseases physician. So I think you shouldn't be too concerned about trying to contact your neurologist uh, or your paediatrician. There are other options. Australia is making provision virtual consultations so that you can... Uh, call your doctor and have a consultation, or even better, you can have a video conference with them via Skype or Zoom or one of those different programs. And this means you can actually have a face-to-face even though it's not in person. Now, I guess it's worth, worth pointing out that in person is always the best, but as COVID-19 comes through, there may be too many risks associated with that because you'll be in the hospital in an environment where there will be people with COVID-19. So from that point of view, a virtual consultation may be best. So if you are worried, our advice is to call your main doctor that looks after your child, be that the paediatrician or the paediatric neurologist, and set up a time to have a chat with them and Um, Ingrid, have you heard any um, concerns about availability of specialised medications such as anti-epileptics? Not to my knowledge. I don't think there are any concerns about running out of medication. Uh, It's a funny time in which we live where people are stockpiling toilet paper, but at the moment I would not say that you need to stockpile your anti-epileptic drugs. Having said that, I would always have a month or two in the in the cupboard, so it doesn't mean you should be running out on a daily basis, but there's no sudden emergency where you need to get six months into your cupboard. So should our children get additional vaccinations? Certainly the influenza vaccine is about to be released for Australia as we head into the winter, and I always recommend flu vax for my patients with developmental and epileptic encephalopathies. I think we know they are at risk of becoming more unwell uh, with seizures and being at more at risk of, say, pneumonia with flu or with influenza. So I do think they should have flu vaccination. And because they're more vulnerable, I'd try and get in early and make sure you get the flu vax for your child. And otherwise, their vaccination should generally be at be up to date, one would hope, and then there are no other vaccinations they need to get. Thanks very much for those insights, Ingrid. That's been really helpful. 
So, David, what were the real take-homes from um, Ingrid's messages? So that was really helpful information from Ingrid, but I think right up front, those take-home messages about the things we can do to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and our chances of catching COVID-19, so making sure we wash our hands, being aware of not touching our face uh, if possible, and maintaining social distancing. So obviously we try our best with our children and we know that there's some extra challenges with our kids who, who have intellectual disabilities, autism, but we just do the best we can and try and protect not only them but ourselves as, and the rest of the family by trying to implement these strategies. So I hope you find the strategies in this podcast episode helpful. We'll put links to some of the important websites with good quality information about COVID-19 and steps to take in the show notes. If you've got questions coming up, please send them through to us because we really want to make sure that the information that's coming out to our families is verified and that we're getting it straight from the medical staff. So if you do have any questions, concerns, please send them through to us and we'll do our best to get someone to talk to those issues. And where's the best place for people to send those to, Chris? On our social media page for Genetic Epilepsy Team Australia, um, just in the page, or you can message us through private message on the Getter page. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us today. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.